All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 26. This is uh, considered the resurrection chapter in the Bible. It's where Paul is uh, defending the resurrection against the false teaching in the church that there is no resurrection from the dead. Um, And so we're going to get into that. Have you seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Seen that one? Yeah? You've not seen Wonderful Life? Oh my. I'm talking to everybody but over there then. Um, It's a good movie. George Bailey. Christmas time, he's despairing of life because of a financial discrepancy, and he's going to fling himself off a bridge to his death because he thinks his family getting the life insurance money is more important than him living, and God sends an angel. What's the angel's name? Anybody remember? Clarence. I was going to say Horace, but I knew that wasn't right. Good old Clarence, right? And Clarence gets the idea of allowing George uh, the privilege of seeing what life would be like if he wasn't ever born. And he sees the worth of his life, the value of living, by seeing what it would be like for the people he loves, the town he's serving, if he had never been. Paul does something like that for us in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, You and I are familiar with the resurrection. We've heard it before. But just a moment here, okay? A man came out of the grave. Right? Doesn't that stun you? <laughs> I had a biology degree and I dissected a lot of dead things. They, they never move after they're dead. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked out of the grave. Sometimes the best way to see something again for the first time is to think about what it would be like if it had never been. That's what Paul does for them here. He wants to snap them awake to their foolish, nonsensical thinking that there is no resurrection from the dead by showing them what difference it would make if Christ had never been raised. But I want you to take that home with you. I don't want you just to consider what life in general, what the world in general would be like if Christ had never been raised. And I want you to think about what your life would be like it, what, how, what would be the difference if Christ had not been raised? Now, I don't want you to consider how much worse your life would be. That's true. Right? Your life would be worse. Um, you're already miserable in Christ. You can't imagine what you'd be like without Him. Um, but I, I want you to consider whether or not the truth that Christ has been raised from the dead has made any impact in your life. How has it changed you? What patterns of thought are different because of Christ's resurrection? Because you're here on Easter. You have to come to church on Easter. I remember a pastor once on Easter getting up, and he started the service by saying, what would you get for Christmas? (laughs) You get it? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, this is the time to be spiritual. This is the day. This is the time to... Put on your nice clothes and dress up and come to church and, and act like you love Jesus for one day. But do you actually? Has the resurrection actually impacted how you think 
your sexuality, how you use money, marriage, parenting, life at work, recreation, everything. Does the resurrection from the dead of a God who became man, the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ our Lord, change anything about you? That's what we want to look at. Let me read these verses, chapter 15, 1 to 26. We'll pray and then we'll get in. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Four, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy uh, to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That Whether then... It was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true, the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people the most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised. From the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Eternal God, you have given us, given us your everlasting eternal word. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, through Christ. And amen. So First uh, Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He mentions himself right away in Chapter 15, he was the last one to whom the resurrected, the physically resurrected Christ had appeared. And uh, he's writing to a church in the city of Corinth. Uh, Now on Sundays, I'm preaching through this letter. I think we're in chapter 3 or so, skipping ahead to chapter 15 for Easter. But if you've been with us or, or not, just simply to say, this church is a hot mess. 
in any way that this church can be messed up, it's messed up. And the biggest mess is chapter 15. They are allowing and welcoming and listening to false teachers who are denying that there is resurrection from the dead. You see that in uh, verse 12. This whole chapter is a defense of the resurrection. Somehow, these morons were teaching that Christ was raised from the dead, but there is no resurrection from the dead. Right? And, And Paul writes this chapter to refute this false teaching and to call to... Uh, awake the church in their foolishness. And so, uh, the first 11 verses are uh, just statement that Christ has been raised and the proof of it. And then in verses 12 to 19, Paul does this kind of thought experiment, if you will, of what would it be like if Christ hadn't been raised. And then in 20 to 26, what is it like because Christ has been raised? It's pretty simple. So the resurrection in verses 1 to 11 and proof of it, what would it be like if Christ hadn't been raised in 12 to 19? And in 20 to 26, Christ has been raised, so what's different? That's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through that um, and look at the resurrection. So let's start in 1 to 11. Uh, Here we have the resurrection and proof of it. We see in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 a sum uh, of what the gospel is. When Christians use the term gospel, this is typically what we're referring to. We're referring to Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal God who became a man. And in verse 3, Christ died for our sins. A little later on in the chapter, uh, we see in, in verses 21 and 22, That through Adam, all of us are born inherently sinful, and because of that, we're separated from God and in death. And Christ came to take that death upon himself. Christ died for our sin. So the Bible is not flattering towards us. We are created in God's image, capable of great good, but we're fallen in sin, and Christ came to die to make an end of our sin. Verse 4, he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. Uh, To be a Christian, there's more you have to believe than that, but that's the central uh, tenet, that's the principle, that's the foundation of Christianity. Jesus Christ is God's Son, the eternal God. He came as a man, died and rose. All who believe in that will receive eternal life. Any who reject it will receive eternal damnation away from the Lord in hell. That's the truth. That's the gospel. Paul preached it, they received it. Now, Uh, Then Paul goes on to give proof, if you will. And the proof is there was hundreds of people who saw him alive after he died. He lists them, gives their names. First, Cephas or Peter. Peter had been known of this church. Then he appeared to 500 brothers, he mentions probably. uh, More sisters than others there. 500 at least. Then to James, who is Jesus' brother, half-brother. And then to Paul himself. Now, you see this little note in verse 6. He appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. Why does he put that there? Why do we need to know that? Why would they need to know that? Why? 
They could go check out for themselves. <laughs> and this isn't just one. Right? Here's the thing. If you compare Christianity to any other religion, almost every other religion relies on a secret revelation by an angel to one man. Muhammad received a secret revelation just by himself, and everybody else has to trust Muhammad. Mormons, Joseph Smith, all by himself in upstate New York, receiving an extra revelation from God, and everybody's got to accept, uh, trust the convicted con man that he's telling the truth. Christianity, 500 eyewitnesses, most of whom are still alive, go to Jerusalem and check it out. So our faith in Christ is not a blind faith. We're trusting in several hundred eyewitnesses. I read something this week um, about uh, President Nixon and the Watergate scandal. He had worked with, let's say, President Nixon, 12 witnesses to lie for him. And those 12 men couldn't corroborate their stories. They couldn't keep it straight. Their lies were found out. And here you have hundreds of people all saying the same thing. And why are they all saying the same thing? Because it happened. Because it happened. Because Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, was put in a grave, and three days later, He wasn't there. (laughs) they could go check out the grave. (laughs) It was empty. And so Paul, one of those eyewitnesses, is writing this to them. Right, so logic demands even, forget about your, you know, having to believe it in the sense of wishful thinking. This is true because it's true. It happened. Don't lose the wonder of that again. Christ died, was put in a grave, and walked out of it. Now, he didn't walk out of the grave, let's say, like Lazarus or the other people who were raised from dead, because they died again. They, They were resuscitated. Christ was raised to indestructible, immortal, eternal life in a body. They couldn't keep him down. He, he's alive. Now, what are you going to do with that? Say so you're here and you're not a Christian. You don't believe this. What are you going to do with that? There's only one of two things. You can go on suppressing the truth in a lie, or you can bow your knee to him and come in faith. That's it. So this resurrection is true. And now Paul gets into their error in verse 12. He asks a question. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you say? You hear that little, how he's saying this? He's he's got a little mock to his, he's got a little cut to his tenor here. If Christ is raised, how can you say there's no resurrection from the dead? Here's how logic works. If you say there is no resurrection from the dead, right? 
and Christ died, he could not have been raised. If dead, no resurrection. Not even Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, then what? So Paul is going to hear for the next several verses, help us think through what your life, what life would be like without resurrection from the dead. This is, this is helpful. This should be helpful to you. And this is going to be convicting. I want this to hit hard. First, now, we as Christians hold some things dear to us. We hold preaching dear. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than hearing Christian preaching. And that's not because I'm a preacher. It's because the Bible says it. In uh, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to, or in 2 Timothy, excuse me, he is writing to Timothy, a pastor, and he's going to tell Timothy on his dying breath what the most important thing is. You know what the most important thing he says is? Preach the word. Nothing is more important to Christians than Christian preaching. And look what he says in verse uh, 14. If Christ has not been raised, preaching is absolutely idiotic. Preaching is vain. It's a joke. And your faith is an absolute nothing burger. All of this is nothing if Christ has not been raised. Second in verse 15, now, we as Christians, one of the things we hold dear is telling the truth about God. We take God's word, we believe that God has given it, and we want to tell the truth about it because we do not want to misrepresent God. If we're preaching that Christ has been raised from the dead and he hasn't been raised, Either God is lying or we're lying about God. Third, in verse 16 and 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You just sang five songs that all rejoiced in your freedom from your sin. This is why you became a Christian, right? Because you became convinced by God's grace that your sin was going to take you down into eternal destruction, and you couldn't stop it. In fact, you loved it. You worshipped your sin, and you knew it was a cancer eating you alive, and so you turned to Christ to be freed from it. If there's no resurrection from the dead, you're still in your sins. Let me apply that a moment, can I? I can, because I got the mic. You don't have a choice. Um, so he's taking the negative. If Christ had not been raised, you're still in your sins. Let's make it positive. If Christ has been raised, you're no longer in your sins. Right? You can follow me there? Christ has been raised. So guess what? You're not in your sins. <laughs> so let me, let me uh, hit you over the head with that. Has it made at all a difference to your life in the sin that Christ has been raised from the dead? Are you still walking in the same sins that you've walked in your whole entire life? Let me do it this way. I think this is true everywhere, but it seems particularly true maybe here in the Northwoods. We pay very careful attention to our physical well-being. We are crazy about eating, not only eating the right foods, but eating the right food that has been raised and prepared in the right way. You know what I'm talking about, right? You got to eat chickens that were raised freely or something. Heaven forbid they grew up in a barn. Right? 
and you got to uh, have this very detailed kind of secretive society of essential oils and apply the right ones in the right way for the right things to have the right physical well-being. I love making fun of essential oil people, and I, I'm sure it works. Right. And you got to take supplements and do right workout regimes and all this stuff. We are so in tune with our physical being. We got a problem, we try to figure it out very carefully and do the research, thank God for WebMD and all this stuff, and then we take the right things and apply them rightly and blah, 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 blah. How come you're not that in tune with your own sin life? How come you don't pay attention to that? If Christ has been raised and you're no longer in your sins, why aren't you paying that careful attention to your walk before the Lord? Another way to say it is, Paul is here helping us see that the resurrection of the dead functionally changes us. So many times we as Christians get so dull and we act like the resurrection of the dead is this myth out there. And it's just fun to believe in it like we believe in a dragon or something. But this is actually true and it should actually transform you. And the area to see what it's transformed is your life. How you act, how you live, how you think. Are you changing as a Christian? Are you growing in repentance and out of sin? we got to get so sick of half-hearted Christianity. you got to get sick of yourself here. Quit excusing yourself. If Christ has been raised, don't ever say, I can't help it. He's been raised from the dead. Or let's apply this to our world. Christ has been raised, and so you're freed from enslavement to sin. Our world is hell-bound on keeping you enslaved to your sin. Do you know that? They want to convince you that there is no shame in sin at all, especially in sin related to our sexuality. They, they want to undo God's creating us in male and female. They want to undo God creating one man and one woman till marry till death does us part. They want to undo a shame for sins of fornication and adultery and homosexuality and pornography and bestiality and incest and bisexuality and transgenderism and all of it. Because God gave us the good gift of shame to see sin for what it is, a destroyer of lives and families and civilizations. And our world wants to lie to us. No, no, no. But Christ rose to free us from sin. So has that made a difference in how you think about this? You know, Christ rose not only to free you from the activity of sin, but even the desire. It's not enough to just stop stealing. It's, it, it's got to be a transformation where you don't covet anymore. Or not like you used to. It's not enough to just stop committing adultery. Jesus said even looking lustfully at another man or woman. And he wants to transform not only external behavior, but internal heart desire by the power of his resurrection. You see, our world is constantly saying for, to Christians now, not, not our world, the church is lying to Christians here. The church is saying, yes, you can, be a, uh, you can identify yourself as a homosexual Christian. You, you can say, as long as I don't do the activity of homosexual, the internal desire and identification is okay. Not so. We want to be changed inside and out. 
And if Christ has been raised from the dead, then you're still in your sins. Next, we see in verse 18, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, those whom we love who have died believing in Christ are just dead forevermore, and that's it. And if you've lost a loved one who's a Christian, we are taught in Scripture to grieve their loss, but do it with hope. Why? Because they'll be raised. There is nothing on this earth that gives grieving Christians hope like resurrection from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, you'll never see him again. The light switch has been turned off, and they're gone. They're done. In other words, to say this world is hopeless. It is as bleak as it could be. And then lastly, in verse 19, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you are the most pitiable people on the face of the earth. (laughs) You're pathetic, is what Paul is saying. Why? Because you're staking all of your hope for an eternal life in Christ, and it's nothing. You're part of a cult who's waiting on some alien return to do something magical. You're pitiable. And so if the resurrection is not true, why live? Now look at verse 20. Look at it. But Christ has been raised from the dead. It's not true. There is resurrection from the dead. How do we know that? Because Christ was raised from the dead. How does Paul know that? Because he saw him. How do we know that? Because hundreds of human beings with eyes in their head saw him. Christ has been raised from the dead. Don't you just love how Paul says it? He doesn't get into a debate here. He doesn't give you all the philosophical reasoning behind it. He just says it. It's true. But Christ has been raised from the dead. And all of these things that we show hold so dear to Christian Christianity, to being believers, are true. Christian preaching is important. Your faith is not vain. We are not misrepresenting God. You are no longer in your sins. Those who have died in Christ will be raised. Right? You are not pitiable. You have actual Christian. Why? Christ has been raised. He is not dead. Does that matter at all to your life? Do you say not only amen to what I've said, but does your life say amen? That's what Paul wants to get to. Why? What difference does the resurrection make? Now, we've just seen what it all makes. What we're doing here is eternally valuable. The dead in Christ will rise. I mean, there is so much good news in the resurrection, but Paul gives two good, especially focuses on two good things in verses 21 to 26. What difference does the resurrection make? Paul shows two things, other than all the other stuff he's just showed us in a whole Bible worth of truth. Here's two. One is Christ's resurrection has completely flipped the trajectory of our lives in this world. He says this in verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, 
by a man has also come resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Here's the story of our world in a nutshell. This is what actually happened. God created a world, and he created two human beings, Adam and Eve. The focus is particularly on Adam here. Created Adam holy and righteous and upright, able to enjoy God and enjoy this world, but he created them with the ability to rebel against God. And Adam did rebel. And in Adam's rebellion, who is our federal representative, he represents all of humanity, when he sinned and died, everyone after him is born in sin and death. So that's our lives right now, right? We are born, and then what? We die. That's it. That's the trajectory of your life in this world. Grave. That's what you got to look forward to. Ten out of ten of you will die. As the song sings, you're all going to (laughs) die. It's true. That's the trajectory of our world because of Adam's sin. Welcome to this world. Doesn't that make sense of this world? This world is, uh, the the self-destructive button was pushed by Adam. (laughs) You're, You're done. Toast. 40, 50, 60, 80 years, and that's it. Death. Or life to death is the trajectory of this world. And then Christ came and what happened? He totally flipped it. Now it's death to life in Christ. It, it's, it's totally opposite now. In Adam, it's only life to death. In Christ, now it's death to life. Come on. Who else can do that? Who else can come into this world by himself in death and resurrection, utterly do a 180 on the trajectory of everything. So here's the truth, brothers and sisters. Because of Christ's resurrection, you were born dead in Adam. Now because of Christ, you can be made alive forevermore. That's what you got because of Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Please, Do not walk out of here without uh, shaking your head in wonder. Now in verse 22, it can get just a touch confusing there, so let me try to clear that up. It says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That word all can be confusing. Does that mean that every person who ever lived will be made alive in Christ? Nope. The in Christ is the important part here. The comparison isn't between everyone dying and everyone living, but that because of Adam's sin, everyone will die, and because of Christ's death and resurrection, all who are in him will live. The the comparison is on the power of Christ for any who are in him. And so this is the most important thing that you could hear today. If you are in Christ, that is, if you just simply believe in Him, that He is God's Son, that He died and rose, you have eternal life. And if you don't, you have nothing but death. And so if you want to live, if you want to be made alive, 
you want resurrection from the dead, you must turn from your sin and turn to, to Christ. And that is it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? In Adam, you have a terminal cancer diagnosis. You will die and you will perish forever in hell. It will not be pleasant. You will be given over to every wickedness that you could ever think of without reservation. You will destroy yourself and everything around you forever. And you will be under God's wrath for eternity. And in Christ, you have an eternal cure and nothing but life forever and joy and pleasure with Him. That's one thing that the resurrection has changed. The second thing that the resurrection has changed is that Christ is now Lord over everything. When Jesus rose from the dead, he came to his disciples, as recorded in Matthew 28, 18 and 20, to 20, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. All authority and heaven and on earth is mine. So we see in verses 23, 24, 25, and 26, Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. When he returns, all who are in him will rise as well. Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must Reign. You know what that word means? R-E-I-G-N, reign, right? It means he's the king. It means he's in charge. How long has he been in charge for? About 2,000 years. What has he been doing in those 2,000 years? He has been destroying enemies. Jesus is not your long-haired, hippie, nice guy. He isn't. He is a destroyer of all who oppose him. And as I've said before, he does it in one of two ways. He destroys his enemies by welcoming them as his friends through faith. Or he destroys his enemies by crushing them. But everyone is going down. Because he's Lord. He is unopposable. Another way to say it is, the gospel is a very political reality. For whatever reason, we have come to this nonsensicalness in Christianity that churches and pastors and preachers and all of it shouldn't leave politics, should leave politics out of it. Why did they kill Jesus? Because he was a political threat, right? Because the political leaders of his day couldn't manage him. They couldn't shut him up. They couldn't get him to calm down a little bit. And so after a bit, as he continued to announce him, what do you do to a political rival that you cannot manage? What do you do? You assassinate him. That's what you do. I mean, sometimes, if you can, you remove all political power and exile him to a small island, but mostly you just kill him. But what do you do when the political rival that you've assassinated comes back out from the grave? <laughs> oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I, guess we, I guess we should have rethought this whole killing Jesus thing. Well, I got an idea. Let's pay off all of the guards and tell them that the, 
that the 12 little wimpy disciples came and defeated a whole legion of Roman soldiers and stole the body. Let's try that one. (laughs) So here's what you do. You bow your knee to them. That's what you do. You stop messing around in this life. You say, Jesus is Lord, and you apply that to everything in your life. Because he is Lord over everything. And he is subduing enemies everywhere. There will be a day, brothers and sisters, where there will not be an enemy left. At his coming, even death will be defeated. There will be no more death. There is a day coming when death will be no more. Why? Because Jesus stabbed it through the heart. He'll make an end of it. And that's true of every enemy in everything, even the continued internal inconsistencies in your own life that are opposed to Christ. We need to submit them to his lordship. So God has, in verse 27, put all things in subjection under his feet. Why? Look at verse 28. So that God may be all in all. So that you might turn to Christ and God might be your everything and everything. So that you might love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why Christ came and died and rose. So that God might be your everything. Right? All right, let's pray. We're going to pray and take communion and then close in song. Let's pray together. O gracious and holy Father, your Son alone is worthy. He is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. He alone has overcome the grave and risen to everlasting and indestructible life. He alone is perfect and holy, who was slain in our place for our sins, now risen and ascending and reigning with limitless and unstoppable power and authority over both heaven and earth. Father, your Son has purchased by his own blood billions from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Worthy is your Son. And through his death and resurrection, may you be our all in all. May all who are here, still opposed to your son, turn and be aligned with him by faith. Oh God, would you give us that grace now? In Jesus' name, amen.